Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in our last program, you were interviewing Dr. Kevin Anderson, the director of the iDino Project, mm-hmm. which is a coordinated effort by several creation scientists to study soft tissue in dinosaur remains. And you had so many questions <laughs> yeah, and he had so much information to share that we were not able to air the entire interview in one program. Right, Scott. And I really want everyone to hear this exciting information. So for today's program, we will simply continue with the interview. We pick up in our conversation where I noted that the iDino project was now pursuing some new avenues of research in the study of soft dinosaur tissue. And here is Dr. Anderson's response. We're moving away from repeating what we did with the first phase of iDino. We're going to move more into biochemistry, more into actually examining the preservation of proteins and challenging some of the models. You know, I think you would understand that the evolutionists have had to come up with explanations of how could this possibly have been preserved for 65, 70, 80 million years, because that's what they're saying is the age of these fossils. And if they then would have to admit that these fossils aren't that old, do they have a whole other problem? In fact, I think Mary Schweitzer put it very well in an interview She stated that it leaves two alternative interpretations. She said either the dinosaurs aren't as old as we think they are, or we don't know exactly how bones get fossilized Hmm. or how the material gets preserved. So I think that puts it very clearly. Either the dinosaur bones aren't that old, meaning that the whole geologic time scale is off, or there's some kind of mystical, magical preservation process <laughs> going on that we don't understand. I think that uh, you know a lot of people uh, still aren't quite grasping the impact to say that these dinosaurs are not that old. These bones are not that old because the dating of the rocks then is all called into question. I mean, it truly yes. will shake the very foundation. Right. of the entire evolutionary paradigm that requires these vast periods of time and these dating techniques are all going to be called into question. So this is really a profound challenge to, you know, not just when did dinosaurs go extinct, but the entire evolutionary uh, theory. Well, I think that's why Mary Schweitzer reports, for example, that when she was originally trying to publish some of this material, she was told by one reviewer that it didn't make any difference what evidence she presented he wasn't going to accept it. Right. And that's because of these implications. He knew the dinosaur bones had to be old. So it doesn't make any difference what the data is. I know they have to be old. Well, see, that's when the paradigm drives the science. And, of course, that's not really science. That's not how you do science. That's right. And that's right. So what we see then is they've got to defend their position that the bones have got to be old regardless of the data. You're saying that what you're going to be moving the project more towards is what we might say biochemical investigation. One of the articles in the iDino Project special report was dinosaur peptide preservation and degradation. That was uh, really an interesting article. Would you be doing some of that kind of research, some of that kind of testing there at the Van Andel Creation Research Center? We certainly will. In fact, what we're going to use is a little bit of our model is if you've been following some of the investigation on Iceman, and they've been doing some analysis of the proteins uh-huh. and the cells still in Iceman, and so the way they've been approaching Iceman is a little bit how we're going to approach it also. For example, they did Raman spectroscopy of the biological content of the red blood cells in Iceman, and they found out that they had about a magnitude order less 
In other words, they had decayed about a magnitude order from contemporary red blood cells. And it occurred to us, you know, if we could, it's not easy to do, but if we could isolate enough red blood cells from the dinosaur tissue, we could do the same analysis. And if it's only a magnitude order below contemporary, then see, then they have to acknowledge that it has the same decay rate and is at the same decay level as Iceman. (laughs) And that gets very difficult for them to begin to explain because, see, you now have solid biochemistry evidence that there's no preservation model that would account for that. Right. And another thing that's interesting that we touched on a few programs ago when we were talking about the amazing preservation of these biomolecules, even by the creation model, they're supposedly going to be thousands of years old if they are a product of the flood. Now, of course, dinosaurs survived the flood. We're, our model would say that there were some on the ark, so they could have been reproducing for a period of time. But the bulk of, for example, Hell Creek, that's considered probably to be a deposit as a result of the flood, correct? Yes. Yes, so I don't that, know how you could say it's not. Yeah, yeah, so then the question is, how could even biomolecules have lasted 4,000 years? What kinds of problems is that producing for even the creation model, and what explanations might we have to address that? And, of course, that's actually kind of a common question. In fact, it's a question that some evolutionists have been challenging us with, is mm-hmm. what you can't even explain, you know, what's your model for the 4,000 years? And I'd say, well, we have a lot less to explain than you guys have <laughs> yeah, to that's explain, right. <laughs> so our job is easier. But one explanation would be that Mary Schweitzer did propose what would be the iron model, where the atom iron, mm-hmm. iron atom, would actually initiate reactions that are called fitting chemistry reactions. And those reactions cause molecules to then do things like proteins cross-link. And when they cross-link, it actually makes them less vulnerable to degradation. In other words, it makes them tougher. Sure. And so she's proposed this as a possible model to explain the 65, 70 million year preservation of the tissue. Well, we clearly don't believe that these reactions can give you that kind of preservation. But it is possible she's helped us it is possible they would give enough preservation that you now could have a few thousand years of a fossil still containing the tissue and the proteins. See, I think we really need to challenge directly evolutionist models because right now Mary's iron model is so accepted, not because it's so good, it's just, I call it a fig leaf. Yeah, there's nothing else. Right, exactly. And it's become popular enough that even the movie Jurassic World just referred to it casually as, we don't need to get DNA out of insects encased in amber anymore. We can just go straight to the dinosaur tissue because it's been preserved by iron. See, so it's becoming part of the overall public mentality in sense that, oh, it's just iron preservation, no big deal. Well, that's being very simplistic, and unfortunately, then that misleads a lot of people that it is a big deal. It doesn't really explain. Right. So often you just hear one expert refer to, well, some other expert said, and that's all that's necessary. (laughs) The fact that what that other expert said has no backing or scientific merit, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just as if you pass the buck down one person or two, now it gets, as you mentioned, just sort of is accepted. It it becomes uh, dogma. So um, there is some really interesting uh, research then that you guys have on your plate. 
And as you mentioned, the research takes funds, and I uh, don't do this very often at all, but I do want to encourage our listeners, if they are interested, if they're excited by this and wanted to contribute even just a little bit, obviously nobody's making money on this. Uh, I'd like to encourage our listeners to contribute to this project if they would like. Kevin, tell us how they would be able to do that. Well, you can go on to the Society's website. That's creationresearch.org. And there's a nice big donate button right on the front page. <laughs> okay. So you can donate that way. We also take checks. So you can certainly mail us a check. You can call us up on the phone also and you can talk to us and you can provide donation information in that manner as well. So really about any way that people want to donate to us, we're certainly willing to work with them on that. All right. Well, one of the things I'm interested also in as far as the iDino project you're the project leader, uh, Kevin, but surely there are some other scientists involved. Who are some of the other scientists involved in the project? Well, Mark Armandich has been doing our electron microscopy work. Yeah, our listeners um, are familiar with him. We've yeah. actually interviewed him and talked about his research a fair bit. He's uh-huh. the electron microscopist, uh-huh. makes all those beautiful pictures for everybody to see. <laughs> yes, and our chemists have been uh, John DeMassey and Ed Brudeau, who wrote that article, in fact, that you just referred to earlier that you really like. Uh-huh. Yeah. The peptide preservation and degradation uh-huh. in dinosaurs. Yeah. Okay. And as we're moving now into this kind of the second phase, we're going to be doing a lot more geology work as far as studying how bones will actually fossilize and such. So we're bringing in some geologists to work on that. So I've already been in communication with and been already on site with Tim Clary, who's the geologist at the Institute for Creation Research. And so uh, we're starting to kind of spread out as far as getting beyond just the biology people and the chemistry people. We're going into the paleontology and geology areas as well. So we're going to be pretty encompassing. I suppose the only people we won't cover will be astronomers. But I don't know. Maybe they'll get involved in it. <laughs> Until somebody claims that they found a dinosaur on the moon, right? And <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I guess there was supposedly crabs on Mars or something. So, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this collaboration sounds really exciting. You're really branching out, and I just think that this is some of the most exciting news and some of the most exciting research going on. You know, the uh, evolutionists have sort of held sway for so long, and now not only with the challenge, we're, we're, we're doing more than just challenging their theory. We're presenting our own research and our own Correct. explanations for things. This is really, Correct. really uh, yeah. a wonderful yeah. direction that this research is taking. Right. We are now controlling the direction of the research, not just reacting to things being done by other people. Exactly. And, of course, that's one of the objections, one of the accusations that revolutionists have made for over the years, and to a certain extent correct, that, uh, well, you guys just criticize, but you never uh, come up with anything of your own. Well, now with our model firmly in place, and obviously it's always being adjusted, that's the nature of science, but Mm -hmm. to be able to do some testing based on our model is really, really exciting, and it's a great advancement for uh, creation research. Yes, absolutely. And I would say in our process of moving forward in the type of research we're going to be doing then, it will keep the evolutionists challenged, and we will continue to come up with material with data that they'll have to respond to. You know, their only choice will be to ignore it, which a lot of them are doing. Well, that's been sort of the... the strategy for many, many, many years, but this can't really be ignored any longer. Not really, because if they ignore it, I think they just embarrass themselves, and I would be very more than willing to quickly point out that they're embarrassing themselves. So it's, <laughs> you know, if you're in science, you've got to engage. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist.
exist. That's yeah. not scientific, and that's not even logical. All right. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate uh, your time today and the information that you shared with us. And I wish you all the best. And uh, I'm waiting for us to be able to clone some of that dino DNA and uh, see what kind of proteins we can get expressed in the laboratory, at least. I don't think we're going to be combining it with any uh, <laughs> frog DNA like the uh, Jurassic Park movies and, and end up with, no, with velociraptors and everything yeah. running around. Yeah. But there is a lot of interesting work uh, on the horizon that yeah. I certainly hope yeah. the iDino Project can pursue. Yeah, that was purely science fiction. I, I call this the real Jurassic world. Yeah. This yeah. is the real world of the Jurassic that we're looking at. Well, again, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing with us today, and I uh, wish you all the best. Well, thank you. Well, Dr. Scripture, Kevin Anderson surely was one of the most interesting guests we've had on this program, and it was very encouraging and informative to hear that interview again. It certainly was, Scott. And for those who didn't hear our introduction to the first part of this interview last week, we aired this interview in memory of Dr. Kevin Anderson, who passed into glory on January 16th, 2022. His knowledge and expertise will be sorely missed by all of us in the creation science community. But he is now one step closer to experiencing what Paul describes in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 